beautiful and tender morning together. Thank you, Nate and, and team. We appreciate you. Friends, open your Bibles. We're going to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes today, and today is Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to continue in the sermon series that I've called Chasing the Wind. That's one of the main phrases that's used repeatedly in the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the most common things in life for us is to relate to someone who is over us. And in fact, one of the things that all of us have experienced is relating to somebody's over us as a child. It's called parents. And parents are called to give nourishing, uh, and a nourishing environment and help to their children, care for their children, but also to give boundaries to their children, to give some construction around them at times that is saying not that way, but this way. And so we learn how to, uh, as it were, uh, relate and to be under somebody who's over us uh, very early in life with our parents. But that's not all that you're going to deal with as you go in this life of being under somebody. Perhaps it's a boss at work. If you're in the military, perhaps it's a commander of some kind who's over you. Uh, policemen, judges, civic leaders, church leaders, coaches. I love den mothers. Again, they, they, they have a special role of providing leadership and providing instruction to those that are under their care. And so it's no surprise that Solomon continues in this book because he's teaching us about wisdom in all kinds of situations. And one of the situations he wants to talk to us about today is relating to those who are over us as leaders. That will be his topic for today. Now, I need to take just a little detour today and say to you that uh, there is a good chance that you are going to be disturbed by something in today's message. We live in an era of very charged politics. It's easy to be against certain leaders, especially if they're not from your party. And we, for whatever reasons, have developed right now a very love-hate relationship with many leaders that are around us. I'm thinking of probably leaders, again, at a very higher level, but again, I think that's kind of the environment that, that we're in. Now, I love expository preaching. One of the reasons I love expository preaching is because if you just wait long enough, all the topics that matter to you, all the topics that are somehow a part and parcel of human existence, you'll get covered. And one of those today is, again, this issue of our response to leadership. And again, I think that there's a, a level of, of uh, anxiety that we might feel around this topic, and I'm here to, today to say, don't shoot the messenger. Again, my, these are not my ideas today on responding to leadership. These are God's ideas, and I'm just the one here telling you accurately, I hope, what's in the scriptures today for you to consider, and what I am and charging you and, and really hoping that you'll do is that you'll take seriously what the scriptures say. We, at the end of the day, that's what I ask for more than anything else is to say, hey, I want to honor what God says in his word and I think we're at a winning spot today if we can do that and maybe take in some information that we haven't considered in a while or maybe ever. I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. I'm starting in verse two and this is what Solomon teaches about relating to those in authority. I say... Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, 
And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him what it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity or hevel. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he, pro- his, will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before, the, before God. There's a vanity that takes place on earth and there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is also vanity and I, I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go well with his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the, under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he does not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know it, he cannot find it out. As we open this passage today, I am remembering my fifth grade in elementary school. We had a brand new teacher, first year teacher named Mr. Tice. And Mr. Tice stepped into the classroom and it was like wolves who smelled blood. We figured out very quickly this guy did not know what he was doing. I came from a pretty rough and tumble elementary school on kind of the wrong side of town. And there was all kinds of mischief that was happening with Mr. Tice. I remember specifically one day that one young man in fifth grade decided he wanted to see how many pencils he could stick into the, uh, there there was like a, a, a roof or a ceiling in there that was acoustic tile, you remember those? And he saw how many pencils he could stick into the ceiling. There's another day I remember that poor Mr. Tice had a young man who every time he turned towards the board would flip him the one bird salute and the whole class would erupt in laughter. He would turn around to see what had just happened and the young man had put his hand down and that just happened repetitively throughout the entire day. Poor Mr. Tice again, I think he was just in over his head that year. He wasn't sure what hit him and I guarantee you he earned every dime of his meager salary that year. Here's what I learned through that. People are never manageable, as much as a manager might think that they should be, because people are complicated. Not only are we made in the image of God, but guess what? We have been twisted by sin. 
And that makes it hard to rule and it makes it hard to be ruled because of those things that have happened in our lives. It's hard to be a leader sometimes and guess what? It's hard to be a follower too. Leaders in the family, in the church, in the city, in society, in our country are given for the protection and order of society in order that we may grow and flourish. And yet, if we leave that unchecked, anarchy comes, disorder comes, much like Mr. Tice's class. And so Solomon's very interested in us acknowledging leaders that are around us and learning how we are to respond or treat those leaders around us. And that's what he's going to teach us today. He's going to have four things to tell us about the way to respond to leaders. Let's cover those in order. And I'm starting off with the first verse I read, which is verse 2. First, be obedient to those in authority. He says in verse 2, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Solomon begins the entire passage with this command, Obey the king's command. We are to give obedience to those who are around us. That is, of course, easier said than done, but the Bible, of course, as a whole, talks about submission to those who are in authority over us. With very few exceptions, kings and presidents and governors and police and principals and teachers and, how, uh, and, and, and elders and coaches and bosses and parents, those are all to be people that are obeyed even when you disagree and even when you believe that they may be misguided. Leaders are sinners just like us and yet we are called to be under their authority. Now, again, that is very difficult stuff for Americans to hear because we're an independent folk. We come from the land of question authority. Uh, we, we guard our independence and we guard it very fiercely. And so, again, it reminds us of the little uh, play uh, game and the little phrase that kids use when they're playing. And one of the things that they always say is, you're not the boss of me. And, you know, we, you know, we live that sometimes. You're not the boss of me. I think that Canadian poet Isabel Mackey says it well. This is the way she says it. There's a tiger in our hall. He lies so flat and still. He seems to, move, to not move at all. But sometimes, perhaps he will. Someday when I grow up tall, I'll step on him. You'll see. I'll teach that tiger in our hall. He's not the boss of me. And she says it so well. Because inside all of us, and some live a whole lifetime of basically living that statement out, you're not the boss of me. And we have to acknowledge we all have an independent streak. And inside of all of us, we're saying, why? Why, Solomon, should I be obedient? Why should I give honor to somebody that is in leadership above me? And he gives two very compelling reasons in this very first verse. He first of all says, the king is God's leader. He's God's agent. In fact, the word, obey the king's command, that word command is a, the same word used of divine command, of the command given by God. And so he's saying leaders are accountable to God and we are accountable to leaders. And so he says that is one of the reasons why you would obey the king's command is because he is a divinely appointed leader. And in case you need some more evidence of that, it's many places within the Bible, but one of the key places is in Romans chapter 13. I've got that uh, above me. And here's what it says. Everyone must obey, uh, excuse me, must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. 
The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. I wonder, do we believe that? The way that we respond to earthly leaders is oftentimes an indication of the way that we respond quietly to God. And if we have difficulty in obeying the leaders around us, well, maybe it's telling us, it's flagging to us, we have difficulty in really obeying God. Ultimately, that goes back to the root cause of all of this, which is our sin. And, well, we want to be in charge. We want to be the destiny of, we want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to be the ones that call the shots. And that's just on the inside of us. He also says, the second reason that you might, again, obey the king's command is because, well, you've taken an oath before God. I know that some say that the the king has taken an oath, but other translations are saying, you've taken an oath. And I think that's what he's saying here is, we've all taken an oath. In, In Solomon's time, they pledged loyalty to the king. In our time, many nations have a way that you pledge loyalty to your your land. For us, it's the Pledge of Allegiance. And many of us have said we've pledged allegiance to our country, to uphold our country, to uphold its ideals, and again, to obey the leaders that are given to us. And so again, we've taken this oath. Solomon says that you've pledged yourself to support this king, whether or not it's convenient or it's inconvenient. Whether you agree or you disagree, you are still loyal somehow to your leaders and to your land. And that can be troublesome for all of us. It's inconvenient to do that at times. It's inconvenient to say, I disagree, but still, I'm going to understand and go along here. Let me give you a a couple of examples of that. Has anybody ever received a jury summons at the right time? You always get a jury summons at the wrong time. And it comes and you're like, you know, what is this? I've got no time for a jury. And here it comes. Maybe you've gotten a speeding ticket. You probably deserved it. And you've gotten a speeding ticket. It's like, eh, inconvenient. Maybe there's something that you want to do around your land, your property, and the government is in the way. They're putting some kind of imposition on what you can do, and it's very frustrating. Maybe you are very displeased with the way that our government is spending money. And you're going, I don't like the way they spend money at all. Let me give you a quote from Will Rogers. I love this one. It's on the board. We ought to be grateful that we don't get as much government as we paid for. (laughs) Boy, isn't there a lot of truth in that one? Friends, there are a thousand ways that this has come true to us during COVID. I'm just guessing. Has there been anything our government's done that you've questioned during COVID? I bet you've been totally pleased with our governor the entire time, haven't you? (laughs) And yet God is whispering to us. And he's telling us, I've placed these leaders over you. Solomon's smart enough to know that at some point there's going to be a uh, a disagreement. There's gonna be some point at which the king is gonna make a decision you don't like In fact, the king might even make a decision that's immoral and sinful. What then? And so he continues on in this passage and he continues on to his next piece of wisdom that he's given to us about how to relate to those that are over us. Second, 
Be wise when countering the king. Be wise when countering the king. Don't, this is verse uh, 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Don't stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Don't leave the king's presence too quickly. It really translates to us, which is be very cautious in opposing the king. Uh, be very cautious in, in saying, I think he's wrong, I'm going to go against him. And beware of standing up, especially for a bad cause. Solomon is saying the king has a whole lot of power. And you need to remember that. The king has a whole lot of power. Let me give you an example of that. It was my son's JV year of baseball. And he had a coach that was an absolute piece of work. I can remember going to practices and watching. I'm in the car and the boys are out there in driving rain as he just has them huddled up. I'm like, why are we not in the dugout right now for this? But he did that, and I think it was just to prove that he could, and he was degrading to the boys, and he was just harsh to the boys. And I remember like, I just don't know if I can keep this up. And I talked to my son, and he said, Dad, cool your jets. He goes, you know, we're gonna make it through this, and if you say anything, it's gonna come down on me because the coach, in this case, has got power. And I bit my tongue that entire season. And then at the end of the season, I called for a special meeting with the varsity and the head coach. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know what happened this year. And he listened very carefully. And guess what? That JV coach was not back the next year. I, 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 you know, who knows? I was probably one among many that came to the varsity coach and said, hey, we got a problem here. But it was so hard that year to sit on the sidelines and not do something that I knew was so wrong, but I had to wait and I had to act wisely in that instance. If you're going to oppose the king, then you better oppose them wisely. Be calm. Don't act rashly. Be patient. If you're going to oppose the king, then do it wisely at the proper time in the proper procedure. Let me give you another example. Many of us, of course, are watching everything happening in Ukraine, and thank you, Courtney, for leading us in a time of prayer for the Ukraine. We've noticed that there are people that are petitioning and are out demonstrating in the streets of Russia. And, you know, hey, good on them. But what has happened very systemically and systematically is they protest for about five minutes and then guess what? They are rounded up and arrested and off they go. I'm not making a comment on whether or not those people should or should not protest. Here's my point. The king has power. And if you are going to oppose the king, you better think carefully about how you go about doing it. You see, opposing somebody, opposing a king coming to somebody in authority who's over you is an art. And that's why children do it so poorly. <laughs> children only know one thing to do at two years old and is throw a tantrum. And you know, I mean, that disturbs parents for a while, but you know, they kind of make their way through that. But kids, as they grow older, learn other nuances of the way to oppose mom and dad at a decision they don't like. And as little girls begin to bat their eyes at daddy, he melts. I mean, so that's much more effective than a tantrum. And so you learn, as it were, as you go along the way to go against or to bring 
matters to authority that you don't, disagree, that you don't agree with. Perhaps our best example of this is uh, Queen Esther. And I have a picture for you of Queen Esther there. And if you remember the story, Queen Esther is a Jewish uh, lady. She, nobody knows she's Jewish. And her people are slated for disaster because uh, Haman has come on the way and he's made sure that there's a law that's passed that all the Jewish people are going to be annihilated. She comes to the king and it says that if you touch the king's scepter, then you can bring a petition to the king. You can bring something to the king that, well, he may not want to hear. And so if you touch the scepter, he can either accept you or reject you. Well, in this case, she was a fantastic queen and so she was accepted. And he said, what is that you want, my queen? Up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she says, what I would like is a dinner with you. Can, can we just have a dinner together? Well, sure, I can do that. So he grants that. Day one, night one passes. Wonderful meal. What is it that you want, Queen Esther? She says, mm, can you come back again tomorrow night for another meal? And she just felt like the climate wasn't quite right yet. So she comes back, he comes back the next night and that's when he, she discloses that the Jewish people have been scheduled to be eradicated by this man who's at dinner with them, Haman. And of course, you know the rest of the story. The people are saved and Queen Esther is victorious in her quest to save her people. She's a great example of wisely coming to somebody and coming to them in a proper way at the proper time. If you're going to go against authority, then you better weigh the proper time and the proper way of doing that. All right. Some of you are saying, Pastor, are you telling me that there's never a time in which we go against the government? Is that what you're saying? And of course, there is a time at which we go against our government and the leaders above us. And I will tell you, there are two instances, but I want to put a caveat on this right away. This is not the normal course of action. It's not the thing that's our first reaction. It's the thing that we do when we're forced to do this. And I want to give you the two times in which we as Christians are called to go against leaders and go against government. I hope you'll write these down. These are important for you to get if you're going to follow our Lord. Here's the first one. When the government requires me to do something prohibited by the Scriptures, that's one of the times I disobey the leaders above me is when they are requiring me to do something that is prohibited by the Scriptures. Let me give you an example. It's the Hebrew midwives. You remember the story? We're back in Egypt. The Jews are enslaved by Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sees them growing in numbers, and he says to the midwives, Kill all the baby boys. Throw them into the Nile River. And the midwives, well, they didn't quite go to the king and say, we're not doing that. They just didn't do that. And when they were asked why, they said, well, you know, these Hebrew midwives, or these Hebrew wives, uh, the Hebrew ladies are giving birth. We're the midwives and we show up so late. They're so, they're so strong. And by the time we get there, well, the babies have been born. And so again, that's the way that they kind of counter the king. Church history is also a good example of this. In Caesar's time, Caesar, who is Roman at the time and, 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 and deals with the whole pantheon of gods, says to the entire land, you must burn a candle to me as your leader and as your divine figure, God. And if you don't burn a candle, you're going to be punished for that. And the Christians said, we can't. We cannot burn a candle to you. You're not our God. And Christians were thrown into the lion's den Christians were burned at night in Rome because they said we cannot do that. 
We cannot do what you've required of us because it's prohibited by the scriptures. There's another example, and here it is, or there's another case, and here it is. When the government prohibits me from doing something that's required by the scriptures. So that's the other instance, is when the government is prohibiting me from doing something that the scriptures are requiring. Acts chapter 4 is our best example of this. Peter and John, they're out with the disciples spreading the good news. And the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem comes to them and says, stop that. Stop telling the news of Jesus to this, this city. And, and this is what they said. Judge for yourselves whether it's right, for, uh, right in God's eyes to obey you rather than obey God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so the leaders were beaten and they, they, were, they were told to never do it again, but they came out of that time rejoicing that they'd been accounted worthy of being punished for the gospel's sake and they had to follow what God said, not what the king had said in this instance or the Jewish leaders. Hear me carefully again. In 99% of the instances of your life, you'll obey because, again, that's the course of action. That's what God is calling you to do. And in that 1%, in that 1% of time in which the government is requiring you to do something that the scriptures forbid or the government is saying that you're prohibited to do something that the scriptures require, those are the two instances in which you may say, huh, I've got to, we've got to think about this. And now we've got to counter the king, but we've got to do it in a wise way. All right, we're on to number three. Don't be dismayed when evil seems to triumph. And I'm working out of verses 10 and 14 right now. Verse 10 says this. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. And what he's saying is, I've been around so long that I've watched people who are, they're wicked people. But they're, they're, they're dying or they, they're dead and everybody praises all this, this good feeling and goodwill upon them when we all know that they were not good. Let me give you an example of that. It's March 5th, 1953, and I've got a picture on the screen of the funeral procession for Joseph Stalin. He was no saint. Joseph Stalin sent 14 million people to the gulag system, which was a prison system scheduled for those who did little more than say, I think we might disagree with the state on this. And they were rounded up and put into the gulag system. 14 million. Another 12 million people within a two-year period are starved because the state wants to keep a communist ideal called collectivism. And here he is as this fantastic example of somebody who had millions that fawned over him at his death and exceedingly, exceedingly praised him, although he had ruled as a wicked leader. He says there's a second situation that can cause our dismay, and it's, it's in verse 14. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. And we've all seen that happen. How could this wicked person be excelling right now? I have no idea how that's happening. But it's happening, and this is what Solomon says. Don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed when there's a level of meaninglessness around what's going on. When you say, this is not fair, well, guess what? The world is not a fair place. This is an uneven playing field. Yep, that's what happens when human sin gets in and distorts things, is it's gonna be like that. And so you prepare your soul to be able to see some of that. 
and to not be blown out of the water. All right, there's one more. Be calm, knowing God is the ultimate judge. And I'm in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. And he says, boy, there could be somebody that commits a sin a hundred times over. The same one. And they're saying, look at this. I've never been caught. There's never been anything happened to me. I could just go on and continue to do this with impunity because I'm smarter than the law. Nothing is going to catch up with me. And God says to that person, you fool. It's easy to believe that you're above the law, but you're not. And you will be caught up in the end. I think of the quote, I have it on the screen behind me, of Genghis Khan. He says, The greatest joy is to conquer one's enemies, to pursue them, to seize their property, to see their family in tears, to ride their horses, and possess their daughters and wives. What a sadist. Oh my. One of the great military leaders for sure, but (laughs) he's one that will be caught up by God. He's one that will be given the punishment deserving of him. And this is true of all of those people who are despots. It is true of all of those people who believe that they are beyond any reproach or beyond any law or beyond any consequence. God is the one seeing that and saying, you're not beyond my reach. And there will be a day of judgment for you. And you'll be caught out. I think about our world's climate right now. And I like that. That's a good thing that God is ultimately about justice and that nobody is beyond his reach, even if it's going to take into the next life to get to that. God is the one establishing justice for us and that leaves us all with a sense of rest. It leaves us a sense of rest because, well, we don't have to have our own little form of vigilante justice, which, by the way, every time we want to give our own little vigilante justice, it's always done improperly. We think we can do it so accurately, but we can't. And so it leaves us to be able to say, God, you're just able to handle this. And so I'm able to give it over to you. I love a story. I've used it before, but boy, I could use it again many times because uh, I love this story. Pastor Tim Brown. Pastor Tim Brown says, some time ago, I was in McDonald's with my daughter and my mother-in-law. We were enjoying a pleasant conversation when the man and his wife and his children came in and plopped down into the seat next to us. He said, the man was somebody in the past who had hurt me. And he said, we faked pleasantries and exchanged hellos, but he said, my blood began to boil on the inside of me as I thought about what this man had done to me. And he says, I was surprised at the emotion that I felt. He said, my family and I gobbled down our food and we made our way out of the restaurant and I overheard my enemy and his wife arguing because neither of them had the money to purchase the food that they'd ordered, and their three kids were screaming for their Happy Meals. He said, the couple was embarrassed, and my first thought was, praise God for this moment. (laughs) He deserves every bit of embarrassment that he's feeling, and I'm so glad I was in McDonald's today to see that. He said, suddenly, God spoke to me. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If your enemy's hungry, 
Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. God was saying to me, here's your chance to be set free from your pain and overcome your hurt. And I knew I had the choice at that moment. I could obey God or I could bask in my bitterness. Somewhat reluctantly, he said, I reached into my wallet. I pulled out a $20 bill and with tears in my eyes, I handed it to him and said, have lunch on me. Pastor Tim knows how to exercise letting God be the judge of the situations that are the thorniest in our lives. Solomon's teaching is pointed to us, and I know that. I feel that today with you. We must, for the most part, obey leaders who are above us. If we're going to go against them, do it wisely. If you are seeing a lot of evil in your world today, don't be dismayed by that because God is the one who ultimately will judge all. So let's zero in here. Who is it in your life today that requires your obedience or your wise treatment or your calm? Is it somebody in your like regular life, a teacher, a coach, a boss? Who is that person? Or maybe it's kind of a little bit more outside your normal sphere. It's a politician or it's a school board member or, you know, fill in the blank. It's somebody you don't see all the time, but nevertheless, God is talking to you about that person. Would you ask God to work in this passage with you? Believe me, it's not natural. You know what's natural? Rebellion is natural. Independence is natural. That's what the flesh wants to do always. But today, God may be calling some of us to have a level of repentance in times like this to say, God, that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is not to give my obedience to the leader. Normally, I'm upset. I'm ready to find ways to oppose the king, ways to not support them, ways to demean them. That's what my first reaction is. But God's saying, no, I I want something different from you. Maybe you're called today to take a step of seeking God that step might be to say, change me, change my heart. Make me somebody. I'm, I'm not a pansy or a pushover. That's not what I'm asking for, Lord, but I am a person who knows how to obey and support. And why would I do that? Because I want to honor you. That's where it ultimately flows from. I want to honor you, God. Supporting leaders. It's not natural, but it's God's design for a wholesome society Lord this passage today has hit all of us it's become way too easy in our country to oppose leaders of all kinds institutions perhaps are distrusted to our own harm and Lord I have no idea how you want to practice this in our church or in my life But I'm opening myself today and I'm hoping that my brothers and sisters are doing the same and saying, Lord, pinch us where you need to pinch us. Let us be individuals who know how to support, who know how to honor leaders you have given to us, even at times in which we may disagree. Lord, we love you more than we love this world. We love you more than we love a political party. We love you more than we do life itself because you're the author of life. 
And so we take our position before you today in humility. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.